Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Bradley's House, the podcast, hosted by Brad's sister, Kelly Noel, alongside myself, Jared Orr. Kelly, I am so excited to have this show going, and I just want to thank you for taking the time out for all of the fans, and that includes myself, to uh, to get this out, and we're going to have a little bit of fun throughout the time of doing this podcast, and we're going to tell some stories uh, about your brother, and we're going to share some uh, amazing stories about what the foundation has going on and the reason why you and the family actually started it. How are you doing today? I'm fabulous. Thank you, Jared. I'm so excited to be doing this. And thank you for suggesting it. This definitely was your brainchild. And I was a bit reluctant at first, I'm not going to lie. But the more I thought about it and realized the reach that we could have with this and the impact and, um, you know, just the positive things that could come out of this, I really warmed up to the idea. And then I thought, oh, we have to do this. Like, why have we not thought of this before? But I think all the planets have aligned and this is the right timing and you're definitely the right person. And and I'm really, really excited about it. As am I. It's uh, sort of a dream come true for me. And this isn't my first podcast. Um, I have hosted one in the past with a, a former WWE wrestler and with a former Major League Baseball player. This show right here is one that um, I am so excited about and just really honored to be a part of. Now, we're not alone today, Kelly, as uh, we had mentioned on social media that we are going to have guests from within the Sublime family and the foundation come on and share some stories and chat with us. And there is only one guest that would have worked for the very first episode of Bradley's House podcast. And uh, I'm going to step away for a second and allow you to introduce our guests for today's show. Well, I have to say, I'm really excited about our first guest. And you're right, it was absolutely the most natural, obvious thing. Um, he's definitely the man that's had the biggest impact on my life and the person on this planet that I respect the absolute most. He has done incredible things in his personal life and in his professional life. And he continues to sacrifice not only for his family, but for all the people who loved and respected his son. And I can't imagine how difficult that must be but um, but he's done it, and he's done it with grace and with poise and with class. And it makes me very, very proud to be able to introduce my dad, Jim Noel. Good morning, good morning. Mr. Noel, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, good, good. Well, we're, we're very happy to be able to do this, to keep Brad's uh, music alive, you know. It was amazing to me that, uh, that this could still be, his music could still be this popular. I thought when he first died, uh, they weren't really selling a lot. So I thought maybe two years at the most. When was that? 90-something? 96, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are uh, 30 years, uh, you know, into this and almost, and it's just, uh, it's amazing that there is still such a uh, falling out there, and, and we're going to get into that. Um, I personally, and I've kind of shared some of this with Kelly, the the story of, of Brad and uh, yourself and the relationship that you guys had um, you know, throughout his entire life as mimics a lot of kind of what I went through. Um, I was telling Kelly that my parents got divorced and uh, I was with my mom when they first got divorced. And it wasn't long until she said, all right, you're out of here. You're off to your dad's. <laughs> Uh, and I ended up living with my dad, and my dad is, has been my best friend uh, ever since I can remember, and he still is to, to this day. 
and um, starting out as just a fan of Brad's music and uh, a lover of music altogether. Um, when I got to sit down and finally watch the documentary Stories, Tales, Lies, and Exaggerations, and I could feel the emotion that you put out there, um, it made me think of my own situation and, and my own dad. And I thought to myself, um, you know, I see the mistakes that, that happened in Brad's life, somebody that, you know, really means a lot to me. And I'm not going to make those mistakes because I see what it did. And the reason why I 100% have never even, to this day, nothing's gone up my nose. Um, and a lot of that was because of the story of Sublime and Brad and sitting and watching yeah. as a teenager. So uh, I owe you a huge thank you. Uh, for sharing the story, because you certainly could have said, you know what, I'm not going to deal with this. I want to move on from it. But you actually coming out and sharing the story and letting us be a part of it. Um, I know it's changed a lot more lives than just my own. But personally, my story is the one that's most important to me. Um, so <laughs> I can't thank you enough for uh, for sharing that and letting us be a part. Well, while we're thanking everybody, we need to, to thank Kelly and, and Brad's mother for kicking me out. <laughs> And, uh, for kicking you out. Yeah, we were living out in the suburbs. It was pretty boring, you know. And so <laughs> she kicked me out. I had some, I had some uh, housing in, in Long Beach, uh, down by the beach. So Kelly and Brad came to live with me, and it was really quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it definitely changed the course of history. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. It certainly did. Well, hey, everything happens for a reason, and you know, I, I've been through it as well. And um, in fact, my my son, we were just talking not that long ago. My uh, 12 year old and he asked me he said dad why are divorces so expensive and I said they are worth it it's um so it, it worked out for 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 me and I'm sure that it worked out for you and, and getting Brad out to Long Beach um so that brings me to I was just thinking about this on the way over here um everybody knows how the story kind of starts you know you guys were down in the, the Caribbean on a boating trip and Brad heard the reggae music and he just kind of fell in love and I was thinking to myself what a crazy turn of events it would have been if you would have taken them to like Dolly Land or <laughs> right? Um, who knows what's well, he, he's a good, he's a, he was a good musician, right? Even though he's about eleven years old yeah, at the time. Yeah. But everybody down there was playing the uh, Bob Marley stuff, and uh, two years later Marley died. But you know they would come they would come on our boat and, and play for us, and and we'd go to the bars where they were playing and uh, go over to after parties with them. So it really left a a lasting impression uh, on Brad, and when he when he came back, uh, they they started uh, getting into the reggae, and nobody nobody was really doing that much around here, so it made a lot of difference. And uh, I thought I thought it made a lot of difference in their music because uh, when when we go to these shows, there'd be different uh, there'd be different bands on the same venue, and uh, the uh, the other bands all sounded pretty homogenous, but. Uh, you know, when Sublime got up there and threw in that reggae stuff and everybody started swaying back and forth instead of banging into each other in a mosh pit, we could tell that it was, it was really it was really going someplace. It was really different. I'm just sorry he didn't have a chance to get as far as it could have gone. That's something that I, I think about all the time. Um, it's as much of a lover of Sublime as I am. I still, to this day, have a hard time listening to the self-titled album, which obviously has been their most critically acclaimed it's got all of the hits that most of the people know on it but every time i listen to that album i just think to myself i can't believe what was getting ready to happen 
and um, it was just so perfect and just a sound like nobody else was putting out and um, it's it really to me when I listen to it I'm like ah, this was it, this is legendary and, and changed um, music and as we all know it created a, an entire a generation of, of new musicians that are even playing amazing today and you hear so much of Brad's influence um, in these bands and he was just um, he was just so ahead of his time with that sound and I agree that the reggae was a big part of it and uh, he knew it too you know he, he is a white boy but he sings a reggae song and I love it so okay Mr. Noel when speaking about bands two of the words that are constantly thrown around are legacy and influence and so much of Brad's legacy I think is about the bands and the sound that he has influenced is there a particular album that sticks out in your mind that Brad has so heavily influenced, something that you're proud of to know that his sound is now being put out for future generations to hear? All the different musicians in town uh, volunteered to help us put together a, a charity album. And it was unbelievable. It was what, 50 different bands or something? Yeah, over 50. I mean, they yeah. just stumbled over each other trying to get on that album. They, it's really awesome. Every, everybody feels that they've... Uh, that somehow uh, Sublime was a seminal band and, they, and they've all borrowed from it. You know, of course, everybody borrows from everybody in music. But, mm -hmm. uh, he, uh, he, he really influenced uh, everyone. And uh, we, uh, my wife and I went to Cleveland one time. I can't remember why. Why would you go to Cleveland? But anyway, <laughs> it was, we, we, yeah, we were right across the street from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So we spent the whole day over there. I mean, it was, it's just a fabulous place if you ever get a chance to go. Uh, but we talked to the curator, and I said, you know, well, you know, when, when is Sublime going to get in here? She said, oh, they'll get in. She said, it's uh, because they were a seminal band, uh, a band that other bands want to emulate. And uh, that, that's what really makes a difference. It's, it's when, you, when I hear Sublime, I don't hear anybody else. That's absolutely a fact. And yeah. I would love to see Sublime in Cleveland. In fact, a few years ago, um, when their first year of eligibility came up, I, uh, I started making a, a little bit of noise and uh, started a Facebook group. Uh, let's get Sublime into the, into the Hall of Fame. And they certainly have all the accolades. Just like you said, um, they're a band that so many bands are going right now because of the sound that they created. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're at, what, almost 18 million albums sold? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's another thing that I think is um, not looked at as much because obviously, like you said, when Brad passed away, they weren't selling much. They had a lot of really good regional fame. But if you look at the shows, I mean, I I'm not sure Brad ever played in front of more than, what, five or 6,000 people in his oh, group. that's right. And, and to be able to have almost 18 million Mm -hmm. albums sold and um you know playing in so many small venues but building such a loyal base that just speaks volumes of what the music actually is well and, and too when they went and made the self-titled i didn't i didn't think we were ever going to get it out because they were down there and nobody had written anything <laughs> they just started putting it together and uh so it seemed to work out okay i don't know i'd like to think he could still do that if he had to but uh it's hard to say. It, it certainly is. And there's a ton of what ifs. Now, Kelly, you were growing up in Long Beach. Tell me, what's it like? Are you, are you Kelly or are you, hey, that's Brad's sister? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely just Kelly. I, 
I grew up between Orange County and Long Beach, you know, between my mom and my dad and being Brad's younger sister. We had tried a couple of times to party together in high school. (laughs) It didn't go super well. So we really, you know, we had our own social circles. But when he started his band and any bands that he had, I was always very excited for him always super stoked to hear him. And, you know, I would go to the smaller shows just because it was him, because it was his band, not because it was Sublime. And, um, you know, for me, it wasn't about being a groupie or hanging out backstage. It was about being in the audience and feeling the energy that other people had as they responded to his music. And that's what was really exciting to me. And so I did go to a lot of those, those early shows Um, You know, I'd go and I'd hear them play and then I'd leave because that's what I was there for. So I wasn't a part of the scene. My stepsister, Katie, was definitely a bigger part of the scene. She was she was younger and and was much more involved in it. And so I think that she probably has a, a much different perspective of it. But for me, I was I was going to the shows. I was excited to hear him. I got married very young, right when they were really starting to get big. And so I had the pleasure of going like to the weenie roast. And that was amazing. It was really, that was the first time that I ever really saw that many people that recognized Sublime's music and knew the music. And that, that blew me away. That was really incredible. But for the most part, it was just, you know, I would talk with them about, hey, where are you playing next? And what are you guys doing? And you know, what kind of music are you doing? And it was fun. It was fun to be a part of it, but it was because it was my brother. It was because of what he was doing that I was so excited to see it. Now, you guys are rather close in age, Kelly. You're two and a half years younger than Bradley, correct? I am. And I do like to stress the younger part. (laughs) You know, when you die at 28, people assume that you're 28 forever. And I'm devastated to tell you that uh, people have asked if I'm Brad's mother before. And I think that's really really horrifying but (laughs) but also super amusing at the same time but yes I am his younger sister so every time he hits what would have been a milestone birthday I make sure to point that out to him because I feel better that he hit 50 before I did and you know all those big things and I do I do miss that he's not here to to share in those kinds of things but it is very gratifying that so many people still remember him and still honor him and respect him and that he's played such a big part in so many other people's lives. And that was, that was a hard thing for me to really come to grips with understanding that it wasn't just me, you know, that, that obviously my experience is unique, but there are a lot of people who, who feel very, very connected to Brad, even if they've never met him. And that's a really, really cool thing. That kind of leads me back to thanking you guys for giving us the opportunity, us being the fans of the music and Brad, um, the opportunity to hear the stories from you guys. I've got to ask if there was ever a time where there was a cooling off period or you just couldn't. I know I lost my mom when she was 22 years old or when I was 22 years old, excuse me. And uh, the one year anniversary of her death, I went back to Philadelphia to be with my aunts and my brother and everybody started busting out home videos and pictures. And I was like, you know what? I can't even do this right now. I, you know, it's, I understand that this is what they want to do, but it's too much for me right now. And uh, it was probably years before I, I dove into any of that. Was there ever a time where, where seeing the videos and listening to the music and talking about it was just too much? Uh, probably today. It's just, uh, it just never stops. You'll see something that'll remind you of him. And then now we've got, uh, big posters of him all over town you know where the uh, artists you know what do you call those murals murals yeah there's murals all over town with you can't go anywhere without seeing his face but uh it's uh 
it's just something that uh, the best I can figure, and I've, I've tried to read about it and all that sort of thing, but the best I can figure is it just never goes away. So there's no use worrying about it and uh, just enjoy it when you can. But uh, it's not it's not the most pleasant thing, that's for sure. Yeah, I will say to dad's credit, he never really stepped away from it. When Brad passed away, he really just jumped right in there to help continue the legacy and continue the music and bring some sort of order to the chaos that everybody was feeling. I did not respond that way. I had a really hard time being around anybody or anything involving Brad. So I really, I stepped back from all of it and I didn't want to hear the music. I didn't want to be around the people. I didn't want anything that reminded me of him because it was it was just too hard for me to deal with for a very long time. And I think it was probably about 15 years before I really was able to talk about it without completely falling apart and and kind of be able to re-enter the whole scene slowly, albeit very slowly, but gradually and understand the impact that Brad had on other people, not just on me, and the part that I felt obligated to play in it to to continue his legacy and what he'd done and and provide some accessibility, you know, for the family, for stories, for history that that so many people wanted to know about. And that was that was really confusing for me for a long time. I didn't understand why why people wanted to, you know, ask me questions because I didn't have anything to do with the band. But, you know, I realized from a family member's point of view that I that I do have some unique things to contribute. And I'm certainly not a sublime expert by any stretch, but I do have a unique love for the person that helped to make the music. And that I think informs my my part in all of this. But I do, I do think that it was, I, I learned so much by watching my dad respond to everybody and be open with them. I'm a very private person, so it was very difficult for me to be open with the stories and the memories. And, and I learned so much from, from watching my dad do that and seeing how he reacted with the fans very openly and generously with his time and with his emotions. And he's really, he's done an incredible job. And it's, it's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I respect him so much. But he he really made that choice to open up and he opens up his home to people and, and he does so much. And honestly, if if it were me, I don't know that I would be capable of doing what he's done. And it's really, it's a beautiful thing and it's touched a lot of people's lives. And I think that that's a way that Brad's legacy has continued. And, and also, I think that that's part of why Brad's music was able to touch so many people because he did come from, you know, a family that, that was very, very open and giving and loving. And very musical as well. Mr. Noel had mentioned earlier the record, and that record is The House That Bradley Built. And you guys can find that on the Law Records website. It's uh, it's an amazing album with a ton of great sublime tracks with a ton of very talented musicians on there. In fact, there is a little cameo by you. Is that correct, Mr. Noel? Is that right? <laughs> Ben and Jacob did Rivers of Babylon on the oh, album. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a great time. We had to hold uh, Jake down. He's uh, <laughs> the, he's an alternative singer. <laughs> he was screaming in the background, but luckily we had some good good guys on the board there, and they said, "Don't worry about it. We'll fix it." And they did. They, they toned him way down. Jake said, "What? You can hardly hear me." <laughs> <laughs> he has a great sound. It's definitely yeah. definitely his own, and I love it. But yeah, that was a really cool thing that you guys did that duet together. Yeah. Rivers of Fun, um, I think, is obviously a. a, a a fan favorite so i think it's really neat that you and jake had an opportunity to to play that and sing that and i think that for so many fans 
hearing that, it, it gets you in all the feels. Well, it's, a, it's an old, you know, Jamaican song. It's a Rastafarian song, you know, and uh, every, everybody kind of steals from everybody else down there in, in Jamaica. So you're never really sure who owns what. It's fun because uh, every once in a while they'll stop by and uh, play for us at a show that, uh, that my grandson is doing or something. And, and uh, it's fun. You know, it adds a whole new dimension. And when the, it used to be that when the, uh, when the Jamaican guys would come to town, they couldn't afford to bring any musicians with them. So they call up Sublime to back them up, and they did. Wow, it was really, it was really, it was fun times. Yeah. yeah. That How is... did it feel doing one of our songs with Jacob? Well, if my wife hadn't been there, it'd been fine. But she's. <laughs> <laughs> He kept telling me how to do it, you know. No, don't do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> it was it was fun because it's it's the first time that uh, Jake and I had ever done uh, something together. He's like he said, I'm the first one who's ever sung with his band. It's great, and it's uh, it's one that we all absolutely love, and everybody online is is talking about it. You look at all the fan pages; it's something that everybody shares, and I think that 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 experience is a lot. Kelly, what's it like? For you now, seeing Jake kind of come into his own musically and um, seeing how talented he he actually is, and the impressive thing is is he's really doing it on his own terms. He's not riding sublime coattails at all. He doesn't try to sound like his dad, although at times he certainly does. Um, but that's not the style that he's going for. He's not out there just playing sublime songs. He's really kind of doing his own thing musically. What's that like watching? I'm ridiculously proud of him. I really am. He's he's in a tough spot, and I don't think people really truly appreciate how difficult it can be to be in the shadow of something like that. But Jacob has done an incredible job of finding his own identity, mm-hmm. finding his own sound, and and really allowing his own talent to shine through, which I love. And as you said, I mean, you can definitely see a lot of his dad in it, but it's also him. It's uniquely him. And and I love that about him. I love that he wasn't swayed by, you know, taking the easy road of playing his dad's music. And, you know, everybody would, would have loved to hear that. But just like his dad, he's got to play the music that's inside of him. He's got to play what feels right for him, what's true and authentic. And he has really done that. And he's an amazing young man. I mean, he's he's really he's done a lot in a very short period of time and he stayed true to himself. And and I respect that a lot about him. And he wears a shirt almost all the time. So nothing like his dad. Right. He always has a shirt on. Matt <laughs> always took his shirt off. We we get warm. We run hot, this no, but, family. Yeah, but there was a reason for that. I asked him, I said, why don't you wear a shirt? And he said, well, you know, I take shirts and hats and stuff from all these different uh, clothing manufacturers. I can't go out there with one guy's shirt on and not the other guy. So he said, I just quit wearing a shirt. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Yeah, kind of raised hell with the back of his guitars, you know, because they were all sweated up. But uh, otherwise. <laughs> I can see that becoming an issue. I uh, I shared that video just last night on Facebook and I tagged Jenna Kelly and I said the this is an extremely rare video and, and not because it's Brad and not because of the song he's playing, but because he's got on a shirt. Long wow. <laughs> so yeah, it, you know, you know, I don't know if I've ever seen him in long pants, but um, you know, <laughs> no, don't think he owned any. Yeah. He, uh, he, he was wearing them on that day. So oh. we're here obviously because of, of Brad and his music and how much we, we love the band sublime and the music and what it's done, but that's not the main and only reason that we're here. We're also here to discuss um, something that you guys have have put into motion over the last uh, few years here, and that's the Noel Family Foundation and the goal of Bradley's House. Kelly, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that? 
Well, we started about three years ago. And the idea was to take the the connections that we have and somehow use that to help other people. And so what we felt really strongly about doing was helping people in the music industry who are struggling with opioid addiction to get the help that they need and maybe can't afford. It's a, it's a tough thing, you know, especially when you're a young musician, you can barely afford to get gas in the car to get to the next gig. And a lot of people get caught up in addiction and don't see a way out because they're, they're so passionate about following their dreams. So our, our thought was to be able to provide a place that can give help to those people and, and not only do it free of charge, but also do it in an environment that could potentially promote their success as well in recovery, because music is a very, very powerful thing. It's powerful for everyone, whether you're a musician or not, but people in the music industry, I think specifically can not only strengthen each other in recovery by using their music and their creativity, but also beyond, you know, once, once they're out of treatment and continually, you know, recovery is a lifetime thing. And so being able to have a, a strong community of other musicians that have a similar goal, I think is a really, really powerful thing. And so that was why we started the Noel Family Foundation. And our, our initial goal is to open Bradley's house, which will be a six bed treatment facility specifically for people in the music industry who are struggling with opioid addiction. And so everything we've been doing for the last three years has been in support of that and also to raise money for that. And it's it's been a, an interesting journey. It hasn't happened as quickly as we would have hoped, that's for sure. But I think the way that it's developed along the way has really strengthened the cause. It's been a real grassroots effort and the the support from Sublime fans has been completely overwhelming and just very humbling, really humbling to see that so many people who are impacted by Brad and by Sublime want to be a part of this. And I think it's a way that we can all channel our, our grief and our loss and our sorrow into something very positive because so many people today are losing friends and family members to opioids. And it's, it's such a shame and it, and it needs to stop. And it's something that can be preventable but it also requires that we all step up and realize that, you know, addiction is a very real thing. It impacts everybody in one way or another. And people that are struggling with opioid addiction, it's not, it's not a choice that they're making. It, it may have been a choice that they made that first time, but addiction by its very nature removes that element of choice after that. And, and it's a very real thing. And our goal in helping musicians is hopefully to have an exponential impact on this opioid crisis in our country because musicians are influencers. So many people look to musicians and, and want to emulate them or identify with their values or their, their actions and it validates what they're doing. So if we can help people in the music industry to you know get their lives on the right track, then they can then impact their audience and their spheres of influence. And hopefully, you know, that's something that will grow and continue. So we're starting with Bradley's house and and hopefully we can expand beyond that. But right now that's our main focus because we really just want to get the house open and start being able to help people. And it's something that I obviously feel uh, very passionate about as well. And that's kind of what led us to this podcast as, you know, I'm, I'm reading more about it. I saw the Facebook page. Anybody who's listening right now, if you guys are on Facebook, 
uh, you can go ahead and look for the Bradley's House group. Um, go ahead and click that join. Uh, it's really an amazing group of people that share stories of positive influences, positive vibes, stories of their own experiences. And it's a, really an opportunity um, where if you just you know, want to know that you're not alone and that there's people that are also in a similar situation that have recovered or in the middle of recovering or trying to recover, um, that there's people out there that you can talk to. So go ahead and check that out. And as I saw that page pop up and I joined it and I realized I'm reading the stories of, about people, uh, people that have recovered, people that have, that are struggling now um, and the goal to get Bradley's house built, I thought, I can't build a house. I can barely change a light bulb. <laughs> uh, what I can do is help share this message and this story and look at some ways to, to try to raise some money to, to get closer to that goal. And uh, that's when I, I reached out to you guys and said, hey, um, you guys have this goal and it's something that I feel strong about as well. And I, I love the cause and I love the music. And here's a way where we can can do a platform where we can entertain folks, you know, maybe for, for each uh, show, folks need to just get away and they can turn it on and hear some stories and, and get some feel good vibes from it. Um, but we can also show people that you're not alone and that there are people out there. And one of the things that we talked about was being okay with talking about your addiction and, and overcoming it and it not being something that's taboo or something that you don't want to bring up. Absolutely. Addiction is very isolating. And we tend to think that that we're the only ones that are going through something so personal, you know, but I think the more we're open with each other about our struggles, and, you know, specifically about addiction, I think it really is very empowering to, to understand that we're not alone in it. And that's one thing that that Bradley's house group has really done on Facebook. It was something very unexpected for me. It was suggested by Casey Sullivan, one of our board members. He said, I think we should start a Facebook group. And I said, well, you know, Casey, we, we have a Facebook page. Isn't that enough? He goes, no, we really need to start a group. And I didn't, I didn't understand it at first. I didn't, I said, what, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do that's different on there? And it just gradually developed and grew into this wonderful place where people can share their stories of their, of their struggles and of their victories, of their sobriety and how they've overcome and, and their, the challenges that they're still having. There's been people who've reached out for help on there. They're been people who have answered the call for help on there. Uh, it's just really, it's amazing to see the community come together. And it encourages me because I realize there's a lot that we can be doing even before the house opens. There's a lot that we can do to impact people and to share the story that, yeah, Brad, Brad struggled with this. And it's something that people have struggled with throughout time. And the more we can talk about it and be open about it, I think it allows people, it strengthens them to be able to reach out for help. You know, when you're hiding, when you're isolated and, and you feel like you're the only one who's dealing with it, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to admit that you have a problem. But when everybody's talking about it and when it doesn't feel like it's such a shameful thing, then all of a sudden now you can reach out for help. Now you can, you can be surrounded by people that have shared experiences and understand that there is a way out and that there is help. And I think that that's, that's something really powerful that has just happened organically over the last couple of months with this group. And it's really humbling to see. I had uh, somebody in, in passing, as we were mentioning, doing this show and this podcast, and I had somebody say to me, so you're doing a podcast that's going to talk about recovery, and it's based on somebody that's able to recover. And I can only respond with, yeah, so who would know how important recovery is more 
than the the friends and loved ones of somebody who lost somebody to it. And I think that that's something that you really bring to the table. And a lot of people in the group rely on like, hey, you know, she she understands, she knows how important it is. And I see you being that strength for for a lot of people uh, on there. And I think it's awesome that you are able to do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Recovery is a process. It's not a one-time thing. And that's something that I've learned. You know, when Brad was struggling with it, I I was young and I didn't know a whole lot about it. And I had this thought that if he could just get better, if he could get fixed, then everything would be okay. And obviously now I understand that's not how it works. Recovery is a lifetime process. And for a lot of people, it's just a matter of going back and going back and, you know, keep getting back up and going back again and, and never quitting. And sadly, for some people along the way of that process, they don't make it. And, and that's truly, truly tragic. Addiction is a thief. In fact, I just, just responded to a comment this morning on the Bradley's house group. Addiction is a thief. It robs people. It robs them of their futures. It robs them of their joy. It robs family members of people that they love. It robs friends of people that they, you know, depend on and, and don't want to lose. And so the more you can just keep trying and keep going back and keep going back and understand that, you know, a relapse is not a failure. A relapse is an opportunity to get back up and try again. And so I think the, the fact that Brad did struggle and he did lose his war definitely makes us more passionate about it because what we want to do is help people to continue to fight, to be able to fight and and not lose that war and, and help family members understand how to support their loved ones that are going through it. Um, because it, it's something that affects everybody. It's not, it's not a solitary disease. It affects everyone around you. And we certainly were affected by, by what Brad struggled with and obviously have been affected by his loss tremendously. But if, you know, we can speak openly about that and share that with others, then hopefully we can help other people avoid that same tragedy. And I, I believe that the foundation and, and what you guys are doing is certainly going to do that for a lot of people. And just being out front and, and open um, with everything and speaking to the fans, like you said, your dad has been right in the forefront for years. If somebody wanted an interview, if somebody wanted to chat, if somebody was doing a documentary, um, you know, he was certainly always willing to, to talk about it. And now having you be able to come out and do this, I think really means a lot to, to the fans as well. So again, thank you for that. In fact, as we were trying to get the show going and uh, the first time I spoke to you, you said, okay, you know, let me, let me think about this and, and digest this a little bit. And uh, I had mentioned uh, to our wonderful producer, Anna, I had mentioned to her, you know, ah, this is not a, a guarantee because Kelly likes to uh, kind of keep private. She's there and she appreciates it and she messages and, but she also likes to keep to herself. And she said, what do you mean? I said, you ever see the show uh, Home Improvement? And she said, yeah. And I said, Kelly's like Wilson. She's always there. You never see every night. My <laughs> wife watches that every night. Yeah. She, she's we have a- to have separate TVs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, those are horrible. <laughs> uh, she's always there, but you just, you never see her face. And she likes to, she likes to keep her life private. And so we'll see what happens with it. Yeah. I, my when we started the Knoll Family Foundation, I, my goal was never to be the face of the foundation. I'm definitely more a behind the scenes kind of person, and you know I can get things done behind the scenes, but um, it is it's very difficult for me to be to be open and 
and share my grief and, and my struggles and my pain. But as I said, I've learned so much from watching my dad do that with so many people and seeing how it impacts other people. And so I've had to, I've had to learn how to, to do that to a certain extent, because I do think that it's, it's a service that we can, we can offer to other people, uh, you know, whether it's us or anybody else who's experienced a tragedy by sharing that with other people, we really allow ourselves to see that we're all in this together. You know, this is the human condition. This is just what we, what we deal with. This is life and it's not always pretty and it's not always easy. And sometimes it's messy and ugly and painful, but, but we can be there for each other and support each other. And I think there's a lot of strength in that. And I'm excited that we're able to do that in, in a very small way. And I think the fans have done a, a pretty good job respecting your your privacy and, uh, you know, they, they share their love. I know probably every year for the last five or six years, I've always sent you a direct message on Brad's birthday and on the history of his passing. Just kept it short and sweet, hey, thinking about you and the family today and never even expecting or wanting a response, but just letting you know that it was still something um, that people think about as well. And on the flip side, your dad, like you said, right up front in the forefront. In fact, when I was coming to Long Beach for uh, the memorial show at Alex's bar, um, I had joked the one night in in one of the Facebook groups, I said, uh, I got to get in that damn sublime room. I'm just going to, I'm just going to find out where he lives. I'm going to knock on the damn door. I'm a, I'm a well-spoken, friendly young man. And the first response was, he'll let you in. And I thought, wow. When, when Brad first passed, uh, we, we, we'd have uh, families with young ch younger children you know, of a certain age who would come and knock on the door because, you know, the Universal Studios and uh, Disney World and uh, the Knoll House. You know. and, uh, it was fine. I, you know, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. He was very enthusiastic. Hey, guys. Hope you're enjoying Bradley's House, the podcast, as much as Kelly and I are enjoying doing it. We're talking everything Bradley, Noel, and Sublime and helping to inspire and encourage those who have been affected by addiction. The love and support of Brad's fans has been absolutely overwhelming and we can't thank you enough. The Noel Family Foundation is working on getting Bradley's house built, a rehab facility for those in the music industry struggling with opioid addiction, and you can help. Visit the NoelFamilyFoundation.org and go ahead and click that donate button. Or show your support directly through Cash App at money sign the Noel family. Every dollar counts and will go directly towards achieving the ultimate goal of Bradley's house being open. How about a t-shirt or poster? You can visit lawrecords.com and show your support there as well. You can also purchase a copy of The House That Bradley Built, a compilation album of some of Brad's closest friends and musicians he inspired performing some sublime classics. And if you stick with us, at the end of the show, I may even share a clip from that record. Again, thanks for downloading. And don't forget, visit the NoelFamilyFoundation.org or LawRecords.com and be a part of the sublime story in helping Brad's family get this amazing facility open. I think that's just amazing uh, that you that you are so open and, and out there with the fans and, and we appreciate it so much. I know the first time I ever went to Southern California, my family, we had a day that was in, you know, break between the ridiculous itinerary that you have because a family vacation is really just moving organized chaos to a new place, right? Crazy itinerary. And it was the one day it was like beach day. And I was like, yeah, sweet. And I dropped them off at the beach and they said, where are you going? Oh, and I said, I'm off to Westminster. I'm going to, I got to go 
do the sublime thing. And uh, so I skipped my beach day to, to go and do that. And that was a story all on its own. Finding Brad's headstone was not easy for me. And uh, I pulled up to the, there was a, a guard at the gate. And I said, hey, excuse me, do you know where uh, Bradley Knowles' headstone is? And he said, listen, we don't give out that information. Oh. Doesn't, you know, we don't do tours here. I reach into my pocket. I pull out a $5 bill. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, leave now. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, what I did do was I was able to get on YouTube, and I don't even remember who the gentleman is, but whoever you are, thank you. Uh, but a gentleman rode his skateboard into the cemetery listening to sublime music on a little radio the one time. And luckily, he recorded it and put it on YouTube. And honest to God, I went back and watched that video and like retraced the steps. It took me like <laughs> four and 25 minutes. I'm like, well, I see that building. Okay. He went right. And I see, and I did find it. And uh, it was really a cool experience. And then, like I said, I was able to return for his 20th um, anniversary of his passing. And I was at the, the, uh, the cemetery that day. And that was an amazing experience. There was probably uh, 150 people there, 120 people, more that came and went throughout the day. And we were all just kind of singing songs and eating pizza. And I was just like, I can't even believe that this is happening. <laughs> Being a kid from the East Coast, you know, finding a Sublime fan wasn't as easy. Um, but once I got out to the West Coast, it was like everybody was. And uh, it was just an amazing experience. It, it had, is it still shocking to you guys that that kind of stuff goes on that on these anniversaries fans gather there and play music. And is it anything that you thought you would see happen? Well, a lot of, a lot of fans, of course, uh, feel uh, attachment to, to Brad because it's, it's interesting. We get emails and things that say that his, his music and his lyrics spoke to us and helped me or helped my brother or somebody, you know, get better. And uh, I'm not sure how all that works. I've never been through all that, but it does work. And, um, We've definitely been on the forefront here. We've had, uh, there, there was what I call the sublime posse. And oh, yeah. There were, were, yeah. And there were a bunch of them, and they follow the band around and do this, and some would do the guitar tuning. And anyway, so, uh, and they kept having problems. And a couple of them died. And so, and we helped out uh, some, you know, to get to, to get into recovery. So we knew that the, uh, that the problem was there. Uh, we also, oh, I'll put in a plug too. We also um, produced a documentary called uh, The Long Way Back. And uh, one of the members of our board, uh, we call him G-Man, but uh, his real name is Todd Zulkins. And uh, he was, the—he was, I think, the first real serious opioid addict that I knew. I mean, he would, he, he'd come to the house and say, what do you got? You got any Vicodin? You got this? You got that? You know, I mean, he was really serious. He was, t he was taking them by the handful. And what he went through for recovery, it should be it should be a lesson to anybody else. So you, I think you can watch it on Hulu or something like that. A long way back, we're we're trying to do things like that, and uh, and we we also had a problem with uh, Jake because he started following in his dad's footsteps. So we spent a couple of years on that, and uh, he's come out to be just a, a super guy, unbelievable. He's real mature now. And well, I think maturity comes with age and experience, and. A big part of that maturity is knowing who to have around you. And I think when you're performing every night like Brad was, it's really difficult to stay away from those people who are specifically looking to party. What, what it amounts to, basically, if you're a musician and uh, you go to play a show, you go for a sound check, which is usually maybe around six o'clock in the afternoon. And then you may not go on, like in Sublime's case, you may not go on until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So what do you do? You sit in a room 
and everybody who wants to party with you brings in the drugs and the booze and all that kind of stuff. And uh, in, in Sublime's case, it was a problem because they'd get out there on stage and they would be pretty bad. The last time we the last time we saw Brad was the best time I ever saw it was at House of Blues in Hollywood. And, and uh, my wife and I said, well, well, we'll beat this thing. We'll get there at six o'clock too. So uh, after a sound check, we grabbed him and he sat at our table while, uh, all the, while all the other bands were playing. So when he got up on stage, he was sober and it was, oh, it was a fabulous show. So it, it's, and, and I've run across that with other people. What was his name? John Wayne and the Pain, yeah. uh, the Midwest band. And he wrote a book and he asked me to do the forward for it. And what I learned from him was that you go in there, you do your sound check, you play your show and you go home. He says, if somebody wants to drink with you, you tell the bartender just to give me tea and tell him it's whiskey, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then we get out of there as fast as we can. And that, that, is the, that is the key to being a musician because everybody's there to party and uh, you can't party every night. And that was a problem uh, that we had with Brad. We didn't know how to break that cycle. That's uh, the Long Way Back documentary, which uh, is available out there in streaming services. Uh, I know it pops up on my Amazon Prime all the time. It's also available on YouTube. Uh, it was an amazing, an amazing documentary. And uh, Todd is somebody who is certainly... Um, and we're going to have him on, Kelly. I know you've spoken to him. We're going to have him on. Oh, that would be a great person. I mean, that that fellow has really been through it. He helped Jake get all cleaned up, and it took a couple of years of his of his efforts, you know, to do that. But uh, he wouldn't give up, and, and uh, until he got him straight. Of course, he had to get straight himself. Can't help somebody unless you've helped yourself. And what he went through to to get straight and clean, and it's it's talked about in that documentary. Some of the doctors said it was the worst case that they had ever seen. And his story is one that's an inspiration to everybody. And then for him to be able to step in and watch Jake, and I'll tell you, watching that and um, hearing the story was something that was really super emotional uh, for me. And just hearing it in your voice saying losing Jake just wasn't going to work emotionally it just it, it, no he, he uh he had to save jake to save himself yeah it wasn't going to work and uh and the fact that he was able to to help bring jake out the other side and you can see yep. it videos and the pictures of jake now um he looks amazing and uh and i think that that's all um the point of the foundation and and what you guys are doing and let's say you know does it work well i guess jake's a, a gleaming uh, a gleaming example that yes uh, oh, it's, it's wonderful i did you know i i spent uh well of course i spent a lot of nights uh uh, with uh, Brad, you know, just uh, crying myself to sleep because we knew he was, you know, getting into the harder drugs and all that sort of thing. And then we started doing that with Jake and uh, I said, well, we just can't do this again. We're getting too old for this stuff. Got a lot of help, a lot of psychological help and, and uh, with Z-Man's help. And uh, as I say, uh, there's nobody who's been through it harder than he has, but he's a, he's a big, burly guy. And somehow he managed to uh, overcome. I mean, he was taken by the handfuls. Gee, unbelievable. Jake wanted the and you know he said he fought it a little bit in the beginning but he clearly wanted to do it for himself and i think that's something that's so important i know i i heard you mr noel say in an interview one time that uh brad was trying to sneak out you caught him and you grabbed him and had him up against the wall and he said dad don't even bother it's gonna happen he said you can hit me you can do whatever you want but i'm out of here and I said, well, leave my wallet, please. <laughs> and, and and we'd take him to these rehab. He, it's not that we never took him to a rehab. He went to several, but he wouldn't stay. And uh, the, like Universal Music, they put him up for a month up in uh, the Bay Area with round-the-clock nurses and everything and, and really tried hard. The, the problem was 
that uh, everybody liked rad. And uh, I remember the one, one, one outfit uh, that we went to for rehab. They said, well, what you got to do is you got to take them over to the corner, drop them off and drive away. And I said, that ain't going to work. If he's got a dime. He's going to call one of his buddies and they're going to come pick him up and it won't do a bit of good. So there, there were there were a lot of problems uh, uh, in being pocket term. Everybody liked to be around him. And sometimes we sit out here on the on the front porch and play our guitars, and pretty soon the people would be all lined up on the wall, you know. <laughs> and uh, they, they, it, it was it was really it was really interesting when he was when he was sober. It was uh, it was really something. But towards the end there, he just got uh, just got uh, too far gone. It's uh, it's a story that we're going to get into a lot here now. As we're as we record Halloween, Kelly, is there a is there a favorite silly Halloween costume that we would have seen a young Brad in out trick or treat? <laughs> well, absolutely. So I actually posted a picture of Brad dressed in his Halloween costume as a kid uh, when he dressed up as a girl, wow. and um, he's wearing my mom's go-go boots and a plaid skirt and a nice red sweater. And a wig and, and he's a good looking girl. Yeah, he was a good looking girl. <laughs> and you know, for obviously for years I'd had that picture. And and one time I just figured, you know, I'm just gonna post this in a sublime group on Facebook. There's only a few hundred people in here, they'll get a kick out of it. You know, but of course at the same time, knowing anything you put on the internet's not gonna stay private for long. But you know, I felt like that was my right as a sister after everything he put me through. Mm-hmm. But I could share that with everybody and um and a sublime official actually posted that a couple of weeks ago too. So that was my, I feel like that was sort of my final act as the, as the irritating young sister that I shared that with the world. I'm sure Brad's not appreciative of that, but uh, yeah, that's, I think it's very um, appropriate that this being Halloween time, mm-hmm. <laughs> that sublime official shared that with the world. <laughs> I feel, I feel a lot better now that I know that that was Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't just a Tuesday night. <laughs> Well, I think that throughout the time of this podcast, we are going to, like I said, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to tell some fun stories, but we're also going to be there to help people out. Um, Before we get off here, uh, we did have a few questions that came in for our first episode. I know that they shared it out on social media, and uh, we got a few questions that we wanted to go over here. Uh, Kelly, Mr. Noel, are you guys okay to take a few questions? Sure. Absolutely. So we have uh, from Kyle Smith. Were you aware of the massive impact Bradley's music had on people all over the world? Uh, did it seem a lot smaller in 95, 96? Does it become more apparent how large-scale Sublime was as time goes on? Well, I, I spent a lot of time uh, after after Bad Pass, I spent a lot of time over at Universal Records because they owned half the music, and you know? that's the way those record companies work. You know? So uh, I was uh, by, promoting, by promoting their... Uh, distribution which is the largest in the world i think it promoted sublime and helped support uh, jake and and his mother and um we it was uh i don't know it was it was very interesting to get a different perspective of people who aren't really musicians you know, when brad passed there was uh, three or four other guys from different bands who had problems too and they didn't all die but uh, and then the uh, record companies uh, uh got, got, people started saying well why don't you why don't you drug test your you know, <laughs> and what, what's that going to tell you? Except they're all on it, right. you know. So, uh, but uh, because of the circumstances and, uh, and and the other people involved, I mean, uh, people called me up and said, and say, I was just on a flight and I saw Time magazine, and, you know, 
I mean, good friends said we didn't know a drought had died. And so he ended up in a lot of places. Uh, what's that one? Rolling Stone and, and, and all those places. I think that uh, that that has really helped as far as uh, giving him a wider audience, although I think it would have eventually worked anyway. But uh, we, we didn't we didn't think at the time that, that, uh, that the whole country was going to like him. <laughs> I mean, we liked him. And everybody in Long Beach liked him. Gee, uh, the, th the thing that amazes me now is is how many people who, who aren't local people uh, still will send an email and say, well, you know, I, I, I listen to this album or that album on my car every day, and you know. So, you know, although some of some of the lyrics aren't what I would have asked for, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it didn't do any good. I said, you know, you don't have to say those kind of words. You know, I said the Rolling Stones don't say that, the Beatles don't say that, and they sell a lot of records. He <laughs> says, yeah, but that's just the way we talk. I said, well, okay. I tried to give some of uh, uh, one of those councilmen here in town says, you know, we're doing a, a charity thing and can I get some CDs? I said, sure. And one of the CDs I gave him uh, had date rape in it. So he knocked on my door uh, after their, their, their thing was done there and uh, he gave me back the CDs. <laughs> he said, you know, these women around here, they just read that and it says date rape and boy, that, they, don't, they don't care for that. And I said, well, if you listen to it, you know, it's an anti-date rape song. But, uh, you know, nobody wanted to get that far into the music, I guess. <laughs> now, the boys have always been known for their craziness and their shenanigans. Is there a certain fun story that sticks out to you that you remember having to deal with some of their crazy shenanigans? <laughs> the guys from Universal called me up and said, you know, we're having trouble with these guys at these shows. Can you go to the next one? It was in Vegas. I said, sure. Yeah, we'll sit with them. So we did. They put you in the second row because you're going to get an award. And, and we're keeping track of them. And I don't know, I just lost track of them for seconds seconds and of course that's when they uh you know they got a couple of uh, big names up there and, and they're announcing the award we look around none of them to be found <laughs> so then every, every, everybody starts looking around we found them in a in a uh, utility closet a token up you know so. yeah that's that's uh that sounds about right like taking kids to the toy store i'm just gonna tell my kids do not move stay here with me right next to me um yeah, it's, uh, well, you, you tried your best on that night. Uh, we've got another question here, and this one comes up quite a bit, and maybe you guys can shed some light on it. Uh, any news on when this sublime documentary that debuted in Tribeca is going to be available for the world? <laughs> well, boy, you're the first one who's asked that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Universal put up all the money for that, and they really did a good job. They got a, a real professional production staff, and, uh, you know, they they uh, everybody who was anybody and, and uh, they brought in and interviewed them and so uh, if nothing else we've, we've got a, a great library of, of what, what what it was all about uh, whether that ever documentary ever gets out or not i don't know it uh, the problem is for some reason everybody last year at least everybody decided to do a, a band documentary and so universal said well how are we going to get our two million dollars back you know <laughs> i said well i don't know and it's tough, like, you know. We're we're not making any money on the on the one that we did with Todd, you know. And uh, it's it's I, I don't know how do you how do you make money on documentaries? I don't know, but I think uh, I think it would be popular, and uh, and everybody really wants to see it. Uh, Kelly and I had the had the good luck to be they sent us back to New York, and uh, we went to the uh, premiere or whatever you call it, and and saw it. So we've uh, we've seen it, and then of course a couple of times before that we saw it too to give approval and. The, this and that and i thought they were just going to come right out with it but uh and everybody says the same thing where is it where is it i don't know 
Don't ask me. <laughs> it's out there. It's it's somewhere, and the fans are waiting for it. So we're gonna maybe we'll make a little bit of fan noise. And uh, well, you know, they, yeah, they started. You had to start writing a, a deal with Universal. You know, start sending and say, hey, what's the deal here? Because it's not up to us. We didn't put up any money. I will walk right in the front doors of Universal with my 40 ounces of freedom shirt on. Demands really. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you would, Jared. <laughs> if years of watching movies and feel good television shows tell me anything, those kind of antics work. <laughs> Here, here's one for you guys. If Bradley's house continues to grow and work on the West Coast, has there been any thought of bringing a, a home to the East Coast? And that question came to us from Chris Lamb. Well, this seems to, uh, you know, this uh, California seems to be a hotbed of this uh, of uh, rehab. And uh, there seems to be an awful lot of customers here, but we'd be perfectly happy to send them a ticket. Yeah. And I, I do think that as after we get this house open and up and running and, and can create a duplicatable business model with it, that we, I would love to see it expand to other places so that it is more accessible and so that we have more space, can help more people. Uh, it's definitely not something that we want to limit. It's just, you know, being a nonprofit, we're, we're just limited by, by the funds that we have available to us. So obviously, you know, we're looking to individual donors, we're looking at grants, uh, anything that we can do to generate revenue to make this happen. And actually, while we're on the topic of it, I'd like to circle back. We had mentioned briefly the album that dad and Jacob did Rivers of Babylon on, and that was the house that Bradley built. And that came out in September and was put out by our good friends at Law Records. They actually came to us and said, we have this idea to put together this compilation album of a bunch of different artists covering Sublime songs and donate all the proceeds to the foundation. And would that be okay? <laughs> I said, absolutely. That would be wonderful. And that was about a year ago now. And through the course of the last 12 months, we have been so completely overwhelmed by the response from the music community, by the amazing efforts of Paul Milbury and Yasad Williams at Law Records, making this happen and using their connections. And really, I mean, they they have put so much into this for because, simply because of their love for Sublime and for Brad. And uh, it's been really overwhelming. And I do see it as a game changer for us. It's really expanded our reach it's it's given us an opportunity to to access a bunch of audiences that we didn't um we weren't able to before and so i do see that as being something really really powerful and there is more to come as we sort of hinted at the first album had 24 different tracks and it's very possible that there's more coming <laughs> really exciting project and we've been really stoked to be a part of it yeah, guys, check out this uh, this first album. Um, I, the vinyl was selling out pretty quick. I don't know if there's any vinyls left right now on the website. You guys would have to get on there and check that out at Law Records. But uh, there is a download uh, link to get it. And you guys are going to get tracks from like the Common Kings. Of course, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars. G-Love is on there. Ballyhoo, OAR, Ross One, Bert Suzanka and the Ziggins. Uh, of course, Papa Jim and Jake. Uh, oh, don't forget Jim and Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Jim and Jake. Um, in fact, you guys closed the album out. So Trevor Young is on there um, from Soja. And there's just so many um, amazing artists that came together to, to play these songs. And uh, if you're a fan of the music and you want to help out towards getting Bradley's house built, uh, this is the way to do it. Now, 
I know what you're saying, guys. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's already got them posted on YouTube for free and you can listen to them. Don't be that guy. Download it. Help get towards the cause and uh, and do what you can uh, for the foundation and for the music. But uh, that was an amazing album. And there were some amazing shirts that, that were available right now. Um, so you guys can hop on the Law Records site and, and check those out as well. Um, and as Kelly hinted, there might even be a little bit more to come. So, um, something that, that you'll be able to find out more about right here on the podcast. Um, before I let you go, Kelly, what's your favorite sublime song? I could absolutely not answer that question. People have asked me that over the years, and I feel like it's a little bit like, uh, answering which child is your favorite. (laughs) Uh, there's so many songs that, that I love and, but I, I do think the older ones, you know, because I was in college when Brad started Sublime. And so everybody knew that if they got in the car with me, that's what they were going to have to listen to. Because, you know, as soon as they came out with a cassette tape, yes, that was that long ago, that was all I ever had in my car. And that was all we ever listened to because that was my brother. And I was super excited that they had an album. So, um, you know, definitely some of the older ones, Don't Push, Slow Ride, those are sentimental favorites, but there's so many different songs that I've personally connected with over the years. And I think as I get older, I connect with different songs in different ways too. It's a, that's a tough, tough question to answer, but I do think it's really cool that there are so many songs in Sublime Catalog that do endure, you know, and that people still uh, feel something when they listen to them. And it, it evokes an emotion and, and a sense of joy or sorrow or something. And to me, I think that's what music is all about. It's about, it's a, a way of feeling something through art that that is very, very personal for everybody. So um, that's that's what I think is pretty cool about, about what Sublime managed to do. And it was the magic, but not just Brad, you know, but it was Bud and Eric and, and Miguel and Marshall and all the people that were a part of making that music happen that was just a perfect moment in time and and the right people and the right sound and it, they just created something that's that's lasting and that's that's really cool okay so jailhouse yep that's my favorite too um, <laughs> um what about Sorry, i listened to that this morning so there you go what about you mr noel do you have a favorite sublime song uh, oh yeah bad fish the, the reason is uh, i've got an acoustic guitar and when, when i was in college in the 1960s that was a long time ago but we played all uh, folk music, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Kingston Trio, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it turned out that Bad Fish is the only one of sublime songs that I knew how to play. I mean, the rest of them are so damn complicated. You know, they change the beat, they change this, they change that. And I just can get completely lost where Bad Fish, you just run your finger up and down, and it all comes out. <laughs> they were really good musicians, I want to tell you that. But I, I, I think, uh, I, I don't think Brad gets enough credit for for the uh, guitar player that he was. He absolutely doesn't get enough credit. He is a phenomenal guitar player. And I I think that that's, well, in all fairness, uh, a few years back, Rolling Stone uh, does have the Santeria guitar solo in its top 100 guitar solos of all time. Um, I I think so. uh, I'll pull that article up and I'll share it on the page. But um, Brad and Santeria were, um, that was probably about, 10 years ago, maybe, or eight years ago, they did a list of the the best guitar riffs of all time, guitar solos, and Brad Santeria riff was on there. And I will tell you that I have an uncle who's a musician, and he plays in a, you know, a little a little band around town. They work at, they're at the local pub or wherever they're uh-huh. 
and uh, and they they played Santeria the one night when I was in town, uh, just because he knows I'm a huge Sublime fan, and of course it's a hit, so everybody in the bar knows it, and uh-huh. and when it gets to the solo, he plays something, he plays his own little riff. So afterwards, I went, dude, what what happened there at the solo? And he said, <laughs> first of all you don't play another man's guitar solo the way that he plays it. When that solo comes yeah. up, you know, you play your own. Second of all, I can't play that damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know how it feels. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, okay, I, I respect that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, bad fish for you. Okay. Awesome. Kelly, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a list, uh, of all of our different guests and all of their, all of their favorite songs. So that's going to be something that I'm going to ask every single one of our guests, uh, their favorite sublime song. I'm going to let you cop out on all of them because you're the host of the show and it's your show and you can do whatever. Um, but I'm going to hold our guests feet to the fire and your dad fired off right away with bad fish. And I love that. And I think that that's certainly one of, uh, Brad's more, uh, more recognizable songs. When you hear it, you know, immediately, immediately what it is. So I really had a, a lot of fun today. Um, I hope our listeners out there had an opportunity to get an idea of what the podcast is going to be, understand the foundation and why the foundation was started. Um, and throughout time on the show, we're going to give you guys a, a bunch of fun ways to get included and, and help out the foundation. And, uh, and for the folks out there that are going through addiction and struggling on their own, they'll have the opportunity to have a safe place to come and, and hear stories and share stories and know they're not alone. And hopefully we can help some people go through that as well. Kelly, thank you so much uh, for for doing this. I can't wait for our second episode. Thank you so much. Uh, This was an awesome, an awesome opportunity for for me. I think the fans are really going to enjoy this. Uh, Mr. Noel, thank you so much. Uh, Well, thank thank you, Jarrett. We really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, This is going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to have you back on. This isn't your only. Don't think you got out with one appearance and... and We're gonna we're gonna have you back on because there's gonna be plenty of times where we're gonna want to talk with you about new things that are going on with the foundation and uh, more fan questions that may pop up. Uh, Kelly, how you feeling after getting our first our first episode under our belt here? I'm excited. I think it was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to doing more. There is one thing I would like to share before we finish up. Um, over the years, I've received a lot of messages and notes, uh, letters from people who have lost loved ones or people who are struggling. And um, I actually read a post this morning on the Noel Family Foundation Facebook page that really struck home for me. And I thought it was really interesting that that I just saw it this morning. And I'd like to share it really quick. Uh, this was the post. It says, a box arrived for my brother today. It contained a poster, a tea, and a vinyl for Bradley House. I didn't know what Bradley's house was before today. My brother's been getting a lot of packages of band merch to try to be supportive due to the pandemic. So I thought it was another band until I read the poster and went to Google. Getting packages for him means a lot. It means a lot because he passed away September 13th, tragically by suicide. His purchase date was September 4th. He'd been struggling with mental illness and has left us with a huge gaping hole in our hearts. But it brought warmth to my soul to see that on September 4th, when he really was not doing too well, he felt the need to buy these things to help support your foundation and artists who struggle with addiction. That was the beautiful person he was and Sublime was one of his faves. We will keep your organization in mind as we try to honor my brother's life. So I would like to dedicate this first episode of the Bradley's House podcast to Sam Slater and his family and everybody who has had loss and pain. Um, just want to remind everybody that we are all in this together and that where there's a will, there's a way out. That was uh, that was a great way to end the show and to, to hear messages like that. Although 
extremely heartbreaking that they're going through that and, and we certainly send our, our thoughts out to them um, to be able to share that and uh, it just that was something that I know really meant a lot to you and I'm really happy that we got to, to end the show on that note. Well, thank you for everything, Jerry. Yeah. And thank you to Anna, our wonderful producer, who's yeah. doing amazing things behind the scenes. We're really blessed to have you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Anna. Guys, this was a, an amazing opportunity for everybody out there that was listening. Um, you can find, again, uh, there's a Noel Family Foundation uh, Facebook page. There's the Noel Family Foundation Instagram page. There's a Bradley's House uh, group on Facebook. Um, you can find um, Kelly in the group quite a bit, and uh, she's there to uh, answer questions and, and just kind of be a support as well. If you guys have questions for the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us on any form of social media. Uh, I'm Jared Orr on everything pretty much, so uh, you can check that out there. Or if you want to email the show, we are at Bradley's House Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I am Jared Orr. She is Kelly Noel. This is Bradley's House Podcast, and we are out of time. Psst, guys, don't go away yet. I told you I would share a clip from that new compilation album, and here is Brad's dad, Papa Jim Noel, and his son Jake from the band Law performing Rivers of Babylon. To get the full version of this song and so many more, visit lawrecords.com and pick up the house that Bradley built. Now how shall